0: Master
1: Certified Coach Christopher McCullough.
0: Well, thank you, Dick Warren, and thank you, my dear listener. We've got another half a show to go with our final show of 2017, and a really extraordinary topic for that. Um, uh, But before that, I want to give you a shout-out. If you're in the market for coach training, and really if you're even not in the market of coach training, but you know that ongoing training and development at the highest level is for you. If you're one of those people who is perhaps a lifelong learner or really committed to making the transition to coaching once and for all at the highest level available, please check out accomplishmentcoaching.com. Accomplishment Coaching is our longest-term sponsor on this program, but it's the reason we formed that relationship is because we love the work that they do, I love people knowing about the work that they do, and I love people finding out what coaching at the highest level is. Again, it's for existing coaches or coaching coaches who maybe are just starting out. Either way, accomplishment coaching has one year-long program. Now, I know you're saying, "Hey, I can get trained in less time," but you can't get trained at the highest level in less time. The program that 's available at accomplishment coaching is the world 's finest it 's been designed to be the world 's finest it is the world 's finest by any measure by the number of hours of coaching received by the number of hours of coaching given by the success of their graduates as well as by uh, the amount of material covered and the books aside, anything that you do the types of feedback the types of testing the types of uh, skill demonstration the types of adult learning techniques everything is um, multiply a multiple of the nearest neighbor at accomplishment coaching so compare them to any other program you're considering and you'll find that accomplishment coaching has more better and at uh, the highest level of all of that you can find accomplishment coaching on the web at accomplishmentcoaching.com on anything this is on a mech she's a powerhouse coach in her i think 15th year of coaching uh, is there uh, anything that you want to say about accomplishment coaching and the work they do there
2: Um, I did the program ever so long ago, and it's still pertinent today and um, really uh, was, I know I chose it because it was so uh, integral. It included everything, and I got my own coach, and all of the, you know, things that I learned there, I'm still using today.
0: Thanks. It's It's an extraordinary program, and my favorite thing is you can go and explore the program and find out just... Observe it. Just watch the actual program going so that it takes away the black box of coaching. You know, other companies may give you a sales pitch or a tour or something. But at Accomplishment Coaching, you can go, just get a little invitation, it's free, and observe the coach training program in process so you know what happens there and you get an idea of what coach training is at the highest level.
2: And I want to add, too, that for me, the biggest part of that is the community that's available, not only during your training program, but afterwards, the community of coaches that you're part of.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's an amazing, amazing program, but it's not for everyone. If you're someone who loves a challenge, if you're somebody who loves to grow and change and uh, learn by challenging yourself, it's for you. Check it out, accomplishmentcoaching.com, and we thank them for their support of us. All right. Anamek, it seems like the last guest of the year should probably be an uplifting topic with lots of hope attached, and yet we've chosen someone who's an expert at the end of life. Tell us who we're going to speak with.
2: I am actually really excited about having this speaker on today because it's a topic that um, I've had a lot of experience with. So I'm excited to hear what he has to say. So who we're having is Sebastian Sepulveda. He's an MD. He believes there is a better way to navigate end-of-life care. He specializes in internal medicine, has 17 years' experience treating inpatients as a hospitalist, and is passionate about end-of-life care and helping patients and families to deal with dying. In his book, At Death's Door, End-of-Life Stories from the Bedside, Dr. Sepulveda shares his firsthand accounts of working with dying patients, exposing a profound lack of acceptance of death, even under the most obvious circumstances.
0: We're a- delighted to welcome Dr. Sepulveda to our microphone. Hello, sir. Uh,
3: thank you very much. Good morning.
0: Good, Good day. Uh, look around outside. Where do you find yourself today?
3: Um, I'm actually physically at home, ready to go to work in a few minutes.
0: Great. In, the, in what city or state?
3: I work in uh, Lowell,
0: Massachusetts. Yes. We, you first came to our awareness back in May when there was an uh, article written on the Boston Globe about your work on death and dying and how popular it, suddenly this topic was in Hollywood based on your book, At Death's Door. Um, it strikes me that for most of us, it seems perfectly normal to avoid this topic at all costs, especially when we're about to go spend time celebrating and with our family why is the holiday time a good time or a good idea to think about, talk about, and,
3: and be with this notion of end of life? Um, well, I personally think that any time is a good time. Uh, but you mentioned the season, and it's quite interesting because I'm also a nephrologist, so I specialize in kidney diseases mm-hmm. and treat a number of patients on dialysis. And believe it or not, the end of the year, around the season, is a big time of change in the dialysis population. Uh, people either stop treatments and they decide to go in peace others get sick around this time of the year. And the winter, uh, initial, beginning of the winter, around
0: the seasons is actually a high turnover time. Wow. So, so uh, in fact, this morning my coach has an emergency trip to across the country to go be with his mother who was fine as recently as two days ago and now all of a sudden has taken a turn for the worse. So it's actually true that that there's a bit of an uptick for people in terms of death and dying at this time of year or is that just something where we're more uh, aware of it or it seems more acute because it's a time that we're normally with family? Uh,
3: Probably the emotional component going along with the season magnifies matters. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say the statistics of the hospital, though I'm not uh, knowledgeable about the details of it, we do know from experience, again, that around the seasons, December, January, uh, there is a lot of death for different reasons, really a lot of death beyond the usual.
2: So I have this question. You seem to work with a lot of patients who are at the end of life. What do you hear? Are, you know, here we are heading into a new year, and a lot of us are thinking about resolutions or new beginnings, you know, completing what's already happened this year. Mm-hmm. And to look at it from, like, you know, if this were the end of my life, you know, what do you hear are some of the biggest regrets from your patients?
3: You mean in terms of uh,
2: <clears throat> things they didn't do in life, things they wish they had done? You know, here they are, they've decided maybe to, you know, to have a peaceful transition at the end of life. You know, what kind of regrets do they share with you?
3: Um, I would say for those patients, I'm thinking about specific cases who did not have children, for instance, that would be their biggest regret. Um For regular patients uh, facing end-of-life, believe it or not, the experience is so overwhelming um, that I think they get uh, essentially stunned by the whole experience. And they tend to uh, think about what mattered in life, things they did right, things they didn't do. But believe it or not... That component is a little bit more psychological, if you will And it goes back to What they might discuss with Social workers or psychologists What I do is actually The end of life itself uh, Which is a different process And which is a subject of my book And the TV series and the documentary we did So it's a little bit parallel To what you ask mm.
0: Okay, so What I think we're oh, We may have Yes sorry i've I think we just missed a little moment there from skype i uh it may be uh, I heard both in the introduction and in this most recently that what we're talking about is people's failure to accept death and Correct. yet i've live my whole life, like that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to reject death and live life to the fullest and make the most of each moment and all that stuff. So how does acceptance of the end of life impact our daily life? Shouldn't we go out there and, you know, carpe diem?
3: Well, I can tell you one thing. Uh, I leave my house every day and I kiss my kids like if it was the last day. Mm. Um, I think uh, one of the big thinkers of our time said, if you do that one day, you will be right. Um, And the reason is we don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. What I discuss with my patients at the offices, you know, we got to enjoy it every day because tomorrow we don't know if we will be here. Um, And with that philosophy, uh, some of the patients are very clear about the option of having an end of life situation ever. But interestingly enough, when that actually happens, it's all a big shock like it never was talked about before.
0: Wow. So even people who see, think they're prepared are not are unprepared?
3: Is that what you're saying? Yeah, a brief story. I had two patients, husband and wife. They heard about the Terry Schiavo case in Florida years ago. They showed up to the office in a rush. They wanted to do the paperwork so they would never have to be put through similar situations themselves. Yes. So we discussed the legalities of it, did the paperwork, and we said, okay, if anything like that ever happened to you, we won't do what was done to Terry Scheibel. Well, guess what? When um, the time came, they completely forgot about the discussion. They changed the paperwork, they changed their minds, and they wanted to be like everybody else. <laughs>
0: Give me everything. Resuscitate me <laughs> as many times as it takes. That's well, right. Well, let's talk about that. So, So it strikes me that there's a couple of ways we can look at this, right? One is we can really start to come to terms with Look, this t- life is a limited time offer. There is an expiry date. We don't know what it is, you know, but start to live in more acceptance of that ultimate thing. But isn't isn't that going against our grain? Wouldn't don't you see most people at the end of life try and rally or is it really a time in your experience of profound acceptance of the eternal and, you know, there's their lot in life and an, a willingness to go?
3: I think the way I can answer that is the following After we were done with the book and the TV series pilot, um, I I decided to do a documentary to answer that question. And interestingly enough, this is what I did. I got a number of co workers of mine who are experienced in the field, actually, nine of them, critical care doctors, cardiologists, general medicine, you name it. And um, we interviewed all of them about end of life matters to to answer that question. Nice. we also had three nurses who were very experienced, and we had three patients, two of them already passed, uh, who were at the end of life, and we had a lawyer and a priest.
0: Um, this so isn't going to be a joke, right? No, I'm kidding. Go ahead.
3: <laughs> no. The, <this laughs> a doctor, is that. a lawyer,
0: and a priest. Right. Go ahead.
3: Yeah. We had everybody, and we interview everybody, and we asked this question. And interestingly enough, um, um, as the producer and the um, write it for the documentary with the limits where you can write because we actually let the doctors, patients and nurses express themselves. Um, We found out that the doctors were pretty clear about this serious consideration for end of life as we are on somehow borrowed time and there is a deadline to that. Nobody knows when, but there is one. And we had to have the priest to essentially balance out our opinions, and basically tell people it's not just the doctors. From a religious point of view, we need to understand that there is such a thing as a cycle of life, and it does get to an end. And the reason to have all of these patients, nurses, doctors, lawyers, and priests saying that is so people understand that realistically, everybody uh, should basically accept that, but in real life, it doesn't really happen that much.
0: Great. So it's so it's normal then. People even people who have had the discussion, even if I sit down with my spouse and talk about, hey, here's how I want it to go and here's what I think, then when the time comes where it's normal for us to resist, to fight, to oppose it. And what what's your recommendation In, in what you've seen? Is that good? Like get that impulse out, or is it better to really work on your faith and your belief and your and your spiritual self to come to accept it? If you could sort of wave your magic wand, would you have people accept, or would you have us recognize the need to fight at the last minute?
3: Uh, That's a great question. Um, As I was thinking this morning about what you could possibly ask, I tried to come up with an answer (laughs) for that. And I think that if you ask me, what's your mission in life, another way to kind of look at this mm-hmm. is if people can get to talk about this can get to understand understand what happens uh, in those last months when you put up a fight um, how much pain and suffering is involved and so people can still make their free choices about treatment or treatment where do I go next where's my second opinion where is my next chemotherapy you name it do I, am I going to have a surgery or not and all of those things that we do to patients, when they put up a fight, uh, if they get to understand that it's not a free ride, that there is a lot of pain and suffering associated with it, and that many times, looking in retrospect, what you see is that was a long, argonal period. If they get to understand that, and they can choose now with more knowledge, I would say my mission is done. So, Dr. Sebulva Diva, you know
2: what? I've been in situations, right? I have a mother that passed from cancer, a father and um you know, friends. When you're in that situation and you're in the hospital in and out and you're it, it's looking like you know, whether you're a, especially if you're a family member, it's looking like things are not going well. Where do you turn? How do you find people that are that you can talk to about End of life options. I mean, does the hospital do the hospitals offer that? I mean, how does how does somebody reach out? Where would there is they- a,
3: short, there's a short and a long answer for that? Today, the short answer is palliative care teams. Um, they are the ones who were created to fill that void and answer exactly your question. But the longer side of the story is every doctor, primary doctor, should play a role should be part of the equation and should with those patients from early on with the knowledge and experience they already have. Just take the time to sit down and start discussing early on when there is not much light left at the end of the tunnel about the real possibilities. And I think if people walk through a relatively prolonged process and they get to understand They can save themselves a lot of pain and suffering.
2: So, what I hear, uh, this is the word should, like the primary care doctors should, so probably they're not there yet, most of them. Correct. But one, I've heard the term palliative care. Is that similar to hospice?
3: It's essentially the same thing with two ends. The initial end of the beginning of of it, if you will, is when patients with chronic diseases expected to pass from it and have a more certain prognosis in terms of future death that can be expected, that kind of thing. Uh, so they, they are being called now at a very early stages to kind of initiate the process. Now, once we get in the last stages of this process, which is defined as the last six months of life, if that could be physically determined, um, hospice uh, which is the more advanced level of care, more involvement, uh, with more counseling along the lines of less procedures being done, um, less aggressive interventions, and looking more at um, quality of life uh, for whatever is left uh, is the hospice component of it.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. I want to, I want to uh, take advantage of your expertise. Um, I know that I know that uh, from my 20 years ago experience, maybe 40 now um, years of uh, experience in the emergency room, that often people come in and there's been some sort of a traumatic event uh, or some sort of major miss, uh, some major change in the health status of someone, and everyone seems unprepared. So I want to ask you a few expert questions to help us guide coaches who often are called in or or in, you know, used during these challenging times. The first is, and, and maybe I'll give them all to you so you can sort of gauge your time here, but I'm interested in what we should do ourselves to sort of get ahead of worst-case scenarios for ourselves, right? What should we do as individuals and as professionals to take care of, to, to start getting used to the idea that we're someday not going to be here? The second question is, what, what do you think is most valuable when there's a loved one who's dealing with end-of-life issues, whether it's a terminal illness or a sudden uh, change. And then, um, and then thirdly, because our time is somewhat short, we've got about five minutes left, uh, thirdly, what is your message to the world? If you could tell 50,000 coaches something, what would you have us know? So again, the first one is, what should we do ourselves to sort of start to prepare for the idea that we're going to be gone someday?
3: I would say uh, when it comes to us, is uh, relatively simple, which is realize that we are mortal, um, that will age or have an acute process will, that will uh, get us to the end. And that's a reality. And when the time comes, uh, the time comes and, and is real and unavoidable. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is uh, in terms of the loved ones, the loved ones have have plenty of experience with that because families are commonly involved and the loved ones are the ones who do the most in emotional terms and perhaps many times in my own experience prolong the pain and the agony because they want to see these patients um, here longer times and they are willing to pay higher prices that many times the patients themselves would in exchange for time So that needs to be mellowed down to the point that uh, it becomes a more humane decision. Um, And that requires education, discussion, conversation with the primary care doctor, the oncologist saying we are losing the battle, that kind of thing. Um, And it's a a process. In my experience, never, ever, ever happens in a minute. It's a long process. And doctor-patient relationship is absolutely key and needs to be used because patients and relatives will listen to the doctor they know many times. They will not listen to the doctor they haven't gotten to know yet. So that's very important with families. And the third thing is the message. It's a little bit what I said a few minutes ago. I think if people just get to talk about the, not the potential, but the real end, which could happen any day, and make appropriate arrangements. Um, There are legal arrangements to be made, there are medical arrangements to be made. Like, for instance, state very clearly to the loved ones what they would be willing to tolerate or not. And the reason is, as I said before, many times the relatives put the patients through um, some, in my opinion, horrible experiences that we don't really recommend. Um, So the, the message that I have is, get to talk about try to be clear about the reality of it um consider pain and suffering and try to decrease it by all means by making the most humane and loving decision that somebody can make at those times
2: as we run down on our time here i just want to say thank you for bringing this conversation out in the world through the your books, through the documentary, through the shows. This is so important. Um, and thank so pretty. Much. Much. Yeah, thank you.
0: The book again is at Death's Door, End of Life Stories from the Bedside, published in 2017 this year. Dr. Sepulveda also has a blog and you can find out more by going to at Death's Door. Dot com, where among other ta- topics he takes on the assisted suicide debate as well as um, more about caring for terminally ill people etc. My dear doctor thank you so much for the important work that you're doing and thanks for being with us today as well thank you, very much. Like you and uh, again at deathsdoor.com at deathsdoor.com is the place to find out more and uh, look for the TV pilot as well as a, as well as a, a documentary on the work of Dr. Sepulveda My dear listeners, it's that time. It's the end of another year of this show and of uh, your year. As we end the year, I want to make sure that you know that I treasure and respect and appreciate your attention to us, however long or short we get it. However, often in the coming year, we'll be doing some playing with our format and our offerings. And I invite you to check them all out at uh, thecoachingshow.com or accomplishmentmedia.com or right here on wsradio.com, the worldwide leader in Internet talk. I want to thank my guest co-host today, Anna Mech. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for jumping in and your courage and uh, willingness to talk about these important and challenging topics. But most of all, thank you, dear listener. Thanks for being with us. Uh, As I often say at this time, we'll talk to you next week, but that would be a lie. It'll be two weeks, and it'll be next year. So I will let you know that I appreciate you. We'll be here each and every week bringing you people out on the cutting edge of coaching or just plain interesting or useful in your uh, continuation of your career. I thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next year. Thank you.
1: Nowadays, Internet devices are an integral part of your home.
0: That Everyone that in your family has like a, a smartphone, awesome. tablet, or a computer. Life is easier knowing that, that all he... your devices are secured and your family can surf the internet carefree.
2: Like, oh, no, that's ESET not Multi-Device
0: out. Security Pack does it's just that.
2: that. Oh, One license for all your devices. Question?
0: With ESET, it's simple to stay protected <laughs> and save money. <laughs> uh, Enjoy safer technology with ESET Multi-Device Security Pack at ESET.com. That's E-S-E-T dot com.
1: Do you want to be a professional coach?
0: For more information, visit us online at scaleyourbusinesstoolkit.com. Cybersecurity is the fastest growing job sector. The San Diego Mayor's Cyber Cup encourages kids to consider computer security as an interesting course of study and a valuable career path. Securing our eCity helps lead this youth competition to create interest and awareness among students and their schools. The San Diego Mayor's Cyber Cup. Learn more at securingourecity.org or call 619 630 2444.
1: Do you love wine, but it doesn't love you back in the morning? Then it's time to try Alcotox, the ultimate hangover cure. Alcotox is a dietary supplement that reduces the harmful side effects of alcohol. And it benefits all alcohol consumers, not just those who occasionally overindulge. So now, for less than the cost of a drink, you can wake up hangover-free. To learn more, go to vinvillage.com and let Alcotox make hangovers a thing of the past.